You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. I stepped off the airplane into the Russian airport and suddenly I was overcome by a sense of darkness. I can't explain exactly what happened, but as soon as I stepped onto the airport, I felt just a sense of oppression come over me. Everything around me was different. The people looked different, they dressed different, they spoke a different language, they even smelled different. Once we got outside, the streets and the buildings looked different, the food was different, the signs were in a different language, and I had no clue where I was. I felt so far away from home and from the sense of safety and security that I had taken for granted. You see, from a very young age, we are designed to look for a sense of protection and provision. We look to our families, we look to our community to provide for us and to relatively keep us safe and secure. And I think that the reason for that, the reason that each one of us have that innate desire for the sense of security is because God has designed us that way. We see that God is a God who is our father, And he wants us to look to him as his children to provide for us and to protect us. We see this in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. God takes Adam and Eve and he places them in a a place where they are completely provided for. They have all the food that they could need and they are completely protected. They have nothing to fear or worry about. Why? Because God is caring for them himself. And he has designed us all to live this way, to look to him as our father. And as we do, he cares for us and provides for us. It's how he's created us to be. But some of us in this room, if we're honest, would say that we have not experienced that in our life. We have experienced times of fear and anxiety. We have not felt a sense of security Maybe some of us have lived in a place where we haven't really been provided for and protected. And what I want to say to you is that is not what the kingdom of God looks like. And what we are going to see in our passage today in John chapter 6 is we are going to see through the words and actions of Jesus a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. And through Jesus, we are going to see a picture of a God who provides and protects his people. And so I would ask if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever you're using to turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21. We won't be reading this whole passage at the front. We'll be working through it incrementally as we work through the sermon. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. Father, we, we come before you as those who are in need. God, we need you to speak to us. We are dependent upon you. Father, we realize that we are creatures and you are our creator. And Father, we love you and we long to serve you and experience a relationship with you and live a life that's filled with your spirit. But Father, we know we need you to do that. And so God, my prayer through this time, through, through my words, through, through your word, Father, that you would speak to our hearts and show us how you want us to live. And Father, I pray that we would be attentive, God, that we would be open to receive your word to us. And so we ask all these things in the name of Christ, amen. Um, beginning in verse one, uh, the first point that we are going to see here 
is that the power of Jesus is sufficient to provide for all of our needs. The power of Jesus is sufficient to provide for all of our needs. And so this, we see this in verses 1 through 15, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered to him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So the first thing that we see in these few verses is that we must not limit the power of Jesus to what we can see or understand. Now, here's here's the situation. So Jesus has been in a very busy season of his ministry. He's been doing miracles and the word is spreading and a large crowd is gathering around him and his disciples everywhere that they go. They want to see the miracles. Maybe they want one of the miracles to be done for them. And so they are following Jesus everywhere and he is worn out. Maybe some of you this morning are worn out and you are looking forward to a day off tomorrow. Right? You have been looking forward to finding some rest. And, and so Jesus is in this place. And, and so he leaves the crowds and he goes up to the mountains. Maybe some of you guys are going to the mountains this week. He goes up to the mountains with his disciples to get away from the crowd. And they sit down and they begin to rest. And all of a sudden they look up and what's coming at them? A large crowd, the the passage will tell us up to 5,000 people, they're coming up the mountain. Jesus and his disciples can't get away. And I almost kind of imagine this like a movie. You know, in a movie when when there's a suspenseful scene and and a person sits down and and they kind of take a rest and they think they're safe and what always happens? Right, all of a sudden, here comes this large crowd like of zombies or something coming at them, right? And so they can't get away. But instead of turning and running away from the crowd, what does Jesus do? He has compassion on them. He knows that they're hungry. He knows that they're far from home. He knows that they've come a long way to see him and they would not have had food. It wasn't like what we are, uh, the situation we're in where you have, you have cookout right there and Buddy's Barbecue right across the street, right? You never have any excuse to be all that hungry. But in this situation, they didn't have food. They couldn't just go somewhere and eat. And so Jesus has compassion for them. He knows that they are in need. And so we see that, that this is the situation Jesus is in and he looks upon these crowds and he turns to one of the disciples named Philip. And Philip is the calculator guy, right? We know this, we've seen some different passages that talk about Philip and Philip is the guy that loves his calculator and his spreadsheets, right? He loves for everything to add up. Any of you guys like that in here? Like a high C personality, you love that. We, we just ha- hired uh, Andrew Seeksis, which I'm so excited about, incredibly sharp, gifted guy, awesome guy on our team. Uh, but he's like this, he is, he's your calculator, your spreadsheet, right? Everything adds up and that's good for a guy who's overseeing finances, right? But this is Philip's personality. And so what he does is Jesus asks him a question. He says, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip looks out, And he starts doing equations. He pulls out his TI-83 calculator and he starts adding it up. You know, 5,000 divided by, you know, 
One third of a fish, half a loaf of bread, times 0.83, carry the one. Right? He looks up from his calculator and he says, we can't do it. It's impossible. It doesn't add up. There's no logical way that we can feed these people. And then we hear from a second one of the disciples, Andrew. Now, Andrew is the guy who takes action. Right? He's the guy where there's a will, there's a way. Any of you all in here this morning? Right? He wants to take action. He sees a need and he wants to meet it. And so he starts hustling the crowd. Who's got some food? Right? What do you guys have with you that you can share? And all he can come up with is what? He finds one boy with a Superman lunch pail right? that's got three loaves of bread and two fish. And the bread is even the poor man's bread. Right? It's barley loaves, which would have been the poor person's bread. The, the people who had money would have eaten wheat. Right? And so this is, he's got nothing. And so Andrew comes to the same conclusion that Philip does. Andrew has been looking for the physical resources to meet this need. And he says, we can't do it. It's hopeless. It's impossible. This poor boy's lunch cannot feed 5,000 people. And what is Jesus doing? While Philip and Andrew are looking out from a very human perspective, saying that it's impossible, it's hopeless. Jesus is just sitting there, taking it all in. You see, these are the very people who have been with Jesus throughout his ministry. These are the very, very men who were with Jesus when they came to the wedding that ran out of wine. And his mother comes to him and says, Jesus, we've, we've got no wine, the party's over. And what does Jesus do? He creates 50 gallons of wine out of water. Right, so he's been, they've watched him be in hopeless situations that he works a miracle in. And yet they're still looking for answers in a calculator and a lunchbox. Right, they're still trying to see how they can accomplish this with the physical resources that they have. And they're totally missing out on the fact that Jesus is with them. They're, they're totally missing out on the fact that the one who created the universe the one who is at that moment and at this moment right now holding everything together by his power is with them. And yet they're still saying we can't do it. It's, this would be like a person who is at Niagara Falls looking around saying, man, I wish I could find something to drink. I just wish I could find something to quench my thirst, man. All the while there's thousands of gallons of water following, falling down in front of them, right? They miss the unlimited resources in Christ because they're only looking at the physical resources that they have. And they say it's impossible. And they're right, it is impossible. With what they have, it is absolutely impossible, but they are forgetting about Jesus. And so often, so do you and I. You see, we say we believe things about Jesus. We say we believe what the Bible says. This morning, think about the songs that you sang. Think about some of the words that you sang about the power and might of Jesus. And we say we believe these things, but then we go through our day-to-day -day lives as if it's all up to us. We live a life that is void of the presence and power of Christ and we think that everything is on our own shoulders and our own abilities to accomplish. And we totally forget about the presence of Christ. 
And so what we see in this passage next is that we must not forget that Jesus is powerful, powerful to provide for our individual needs. We see beginning in, in verse 10. So, so the disciples have said, it's impossible, it's hopeless. There's no way for us to feed these people. And what does Jesus do in response to their doubt and hopelessness? We see beginning in verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was so much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Can you imagine what this would have been like? So Jesus starts blessing the meal and there's no food on the table. What would they have thought? I, I bet you there were a few eyes open during that prayer. They're like, what are you doing, Jesus? You're thanking God for food. There's no food. But Jesus proceeds to begin taking the small lunch and dividing it into pieces. And he's placing them in baskets. And he continues to do this more and more and more. And he organizes the disciples like a wait staff. And so they start taking these baskets out and distributing them to sections of these 5,000 people. And every time they go out, they think, oh my goodness, how did this happen? And they're walking back thinking there's no way there could be any more. And once again, Jesus fills up their baskets and they come back and they do this over and over until every single person in the crowd has eaten their food. And I think something, there's an incredible point in verse 13. <laughs> and, and it says this, it says, how many baskets were left over after all these people had eaten? 12. How many disciples were there? I think, I mean, think about this. Jesus created the exact amount of food to feed 5,000 people and then have 12 full baskets left over. You think that was a coincidence? I don't think so. I think this was a message to the disciples who had doubted that this was possible. The very disciples who had looked at the crowd and said, this is, there is no way that we can feed these people. Each one of them was left with a basket and it was full of food and everyone else had eaten. And this was a message to them that Jesus was powerful to do the impossible, not only in the lives of the crowd, but in their own lives. Right? Each one of them was left with a basket full of their own. Jesus saw their needs and was able to meet them. And I think that, that something that, <clears throat> that we need to understand is that Jesus knows us individually. And he knows exactly what each of us need. And he is able to provide abundantly for all of our needs. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus knows you more than you know yourself? And he knows exactly what you need. Maybe not necessarily what you want, but he knows exactly what you need. And he is powerful and able to provide for you abundantly. Do you believe that? You see, some of us in this room are worried. Some, some of us in this room deal with worry over, over any number of different things. And if I went to each of you, you probably could give me something that you tend to worry about. In this area or that area, some of you guys would have a long list, 
right? But, but there's some different things. And, and here's the deal. When we, when we worry about things, the way that we think is, is we, are, we are tempted to think that Jesus doesn't know what we need or he's not powerful to provide, right? We, we are tempted when we worry to think that Jesus doesn't really know our needs or he's not powerful to provide exactly what we need. But based on scripture, right, based on the authority of the Bible, Christ Jesus knows exactly your needs and he is powerful. He is more than able to provide all that you need and more than you could ever imagine. And not only does he provide, is he powerful to provide for your needs, but he is powerful to use you to provide for the needs of others. You see, here's the deal. Many of us, if you think about it, you know that there are needs around you. Maybe it's, maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's, it's friends. Maybe it's people in your neighborhood. Maybe it's just within this community, but you know of needs. But your thought is, is I have so little. There, there's no way I could provide for those needs. I just, I'm just not sufficient. And here's the deal. You're standing in front of Niagara Falls. You have the power and presence of Christ in you and he wants to use you. He wants to use you through his power to meet needs. Jesus doesn't individually hand out this bread. He sends his disciples to do it. So they get to be part of the miracle. They get to watch Jesus work through them. Right, Jesus is more than enough. If you have Jesus, you have more than enough to meet the needs of those around you. So don't question your resources and your abilities and the little that you have. Trust Jesus and and step out to meet the needs of those that he has put in your place. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of of Jim Elliot, who's a famous missionary who went to a a group of people in Ecuador. He was trying to reach with the gospel. Uh, The very people he was trying to reach killed him and some other men. Um, And and his wife writes this. She says, realizing that nothing I have or nothing I am will be refused on the part of Christ if I simply give it to him as the little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fish with the same feeling of the disciples when they said, what is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offered to Christ, my reaction would be, what is the good of that? The point is, the use he makes of it is his blessing. You see, Jesus is powerful to provide for all of your needs and to use you to provide for the needs of those around you. Well, the final thing we see in this section of the the passage is that we must not forget that Jesus doesn't just give blessings, he is the blessing. And we see this in verses 14 through 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and to make him king by force, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, here's the deal. These people are full. They were hungry. Jesus made them bread and now they're full and now they want to make him king. Why? Because they want to remain fed, right? They want Jesus to keep doing this stuff, to keep feeding him. And they know if he can do this, man, think about all the other cool stuff he can do. We want him to be king because of what he can give to us. We want a material king. We want an earthly king who will provide us with earthly things. 
And the problem is there are people in pulpits this morning who are preaching that very same message. They're saying that that Jesus is just an earthly king who wants to throw blessings at you like a heavenly ATM machine. Right, if you just have enough faith, faith, Jesus will give you a brand new car and a brand new watch and a bigger house, right? And it's all about the stuff that you get. I remember overhearing a conversation along these very same lines when I was sitting at Panera Bread one day. And uh, it was around Christmas and there was a group of ladies and they were talking about how their pastor had challenged them to write down on a list a thing, all the things that they wanted for Christmas. And then to claim them in the name of Jesus. And if they had enough faith, they would get those things. And so one of the ladies spoke up, and I'm, I'm all ears, you know, right here, eavesdropping on this conversation. And one of the ladies said, you know, I was so proud of my husband's faith because I saw his list, man, he put an iPad, he put a computer, he put a new TV, man, he was really trusting God. And one of the other ladies in the group said, did he put on there to get a new job? <laughs> I was like, yes. I'm not kidding. Real conversation I overheard, right? That's not the picture of Jesus we get in the Bible. The point is you don't come to Jesus to get stuff. You come to Jesus to get Jesus, right? He is more enough. A relationship with him is what we need. It's what he offers. David Platt, author author of the book Radical, president of the International Mission Board, says this. He says, He isn't simply the one who gives what's satisfied. He is the one who satisfies. I want us to think, maybe some of us in this room, we we think this way. We think about Jesus for what he can give to us materially. And we miss out on the fact that the whole reward he offers is himself. He is the one who satisfies more than anything else could in the universe. And so Jesus looks at their self-centered attempts to make him king, and he says, no, I don't want any of that. And so he goes off to the mountain by himself. The next thing we see, the the next major point in this passage is that not only is the power of Jesus sufficient to provide for all our needs, but secondly, the presence of Jesus is sufficient to protect us in every situation. The presence of Jesus is sufficient to protect us in every situation. We see this beginning in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to him, it is I, do not be afraid. First thing we see in this section of verses is that Jesus is sovereign over us even when it doesn't seem like it. Now, Jesus sends the disciples out on a boat by themselves. It would have been between seven and nine o'clock at night, right? So the sun is set. They're going out onto the sea. And later in the passage, we see that Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch of the night, which would have been between three and six o'clock in the morning. So Jesus leaves the disciples out on the water in a terrible storm through the darkest part of the night. <clears throat> and I think what, what we, we have to see here is, is this wouldn't have made sense to them, right? That, that Jesus would leave them out in 
This boat in this terrible storm, the wind is blowing. They're getting tossed back and forth by the waves. They're just getting beat up out there. It's completely pitch black, right? They don't have lights all around them, so you can't see anything. This would have been a terrifying situation. They would have feared for their lives. Have any of you all ever been out in a boat in a storm? Right? I remember one time when I was, when I was a kid, I went to Alaska for a summer with my grandparents, and we would go salmon fishing. And I remember one day I set out, we had this, this inflatable raft and uh, we set out with my grandfather. And when we left, it was, it was beautiful. The sun was shining, right? We're fishing. And all of a sudden this storm blows in and I mean, it comes in quick and we're way out. And so we turn around, we start trying to, to come back and man, it, the storm gets worse and it gets dark and it starts raining and we don't have anything to cover ourselves with and we are freezing cold and soaking wet and I'm scared for my life. If you're in a boat in a storm, it's a terribly hopeless feeling because you're completely exposed and you're completely dependent upon the weather and the waves. And this is the situation they're in and it would have been easy in the middle of that storm, to think that Jesus had forgotten about them. To think that Jesus left them in the worst part of the storm, in the darkest part of the night, and he was out on the mountainside, and they would have been tempted to think he was out of control. Right? They were away from him, and, and, and he's forgotten about them. And in the same way, so many of us, when we're going through the storms of life, we feel like Jesus is absent we fear that he has forgotten about us or that the situations we're going through are outside of his control. But here's the truth. The entire time those, those disciples were out on the boat, Jesus was looking down at them from the mountain. He knew everything that they were going through and he was in complete control of the sea and of them the whole time. And that's the truth we have to understand and not just understand, but it has to sink into our hearts. Jesus is in sovereign control over our lives and all of the events that we're going through. Even when we're tempted to think that he's forgotten about us, even when situations that are bad get worse, he's still in sovereign control. He still knows everything that we're going through and he's in control of our lives. And the question is, do we believe that? Do you really believe that? Maybe some of you guys are in that place right now and the question, do you trust in the sovereignty of Christ over every detail of your life, even when it doesn't make sense? Even when it's the darkest part of the night and the worst part of the storm, do we still trust that Christ is in sovereign control even of the storm? Because that's the picture we see in this passage. <clears throat> and so the next thing that we see in, in these verses is that the point ultimately is not to get them out of the storm, but to get Jesus into the boat. The point is not to get them out of the storm, but to get Jesus in the boat. The, it's, it's really interesting. So, so they're terrified, right? And they think they're going to die. And all of a sudden, this, this person comes walking out on the water. Other passages that retell this story say that it was, they thought it was a ghost, right? So they're freaking out and Jesus says, it's I, don't be afraid. And literally what he says, it's translated, it is I, but literally what he says is I am, which maybe that's familiar to you. This is how the same exact words that God used to reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush, right? Words that mean I am, I always have been, I am now and I always will be, right? Jesus is saying he is the almighty God who is, who is with them at this moment. 
And he is revealing himself to them. And, and here's what happens. He gets in the boat after revealing himself to him. And what happens next in the story? It's like it just drops off, right? It's like the worst movie. <laughs> you know, you get all the way to the end. And all of a sudden, it's just over. You're like, what just happened? They're at the shore. Nothing about the storm. Nothing about the disciples. No conversation about why Jesus had stayed up or anything. It's just they're at the shore. Why is that? I think the point is that the, the whole point of this passage is not that they get out of the storm, but that Jesus gets into the boat. And, and here's the truth for us today. The point is not that the storms of your life stop and things get easy. The point is that the presence and power of Jesus is with you through the storm. The, the point, and, and so, so many times we're tempted to think, man, if Jesus would just make all this smooth out. No, his presence is what you need. Not for things to get easier. Once he's in the boat, it's, the, the rest of the details take care of themselves. And, and there may be some of you who this, this morning who, if you're honest, you would have to say, I'm in a boat by myself. I know that I've never trusted Christ as my Savior and Lord. Right? I'm trying to work through the waves of this life by myself, and I want to tell you it's hopeless. Right? It ends in death. But the incredible gift of the gospel is that Christ has done everything for you. He has died on the cross so that your sins can be forgiven and so that his presence can come live in and through you. And so the call today would be turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Right? Don't try to stay in the boat by yourselves. Some of the others of us in here this morning, we are Christians. We have trusted Christ as our Savior, but we're not living in dependence upon him and on, upon his power. Right? We're, we're, we're dealing with worry and, and anxiousness and fear. And, and, and I know we have, we have, I'm sure many of you have real difficult situations going on. I don't doubt that at all. But the problem is your focus is on your circumstances, your thoughts are consumed with your fears and all these details and the situations around you and you fill your mind with that and it leads you to worry. And the call here is to take your mind off of the circumstances and fill your mind with Christ. Depend upon him. Experience what it means to, to have his power working in and through you. And this is what is promised to you if you're a Christian. If the spirit of God is in you, if the presence of Christ is at work in you, then you don't have to do it in your own strength. You can't. But as you trust in him, as you believe that his presence is truly in you and with you, and as you depend upon his spirit's power to work in and through you, you will begin to experience strength beyond your own. But it only happens when you really believe, when you, when you let go of trying to do it in your own power and you completely fall and depend on the strength of Christ working in and through you. And when you do that, I'm telling you, when you do that, you will begin to experience a, a courage and a confidence and a boldness and a joy because it's not up to you. But the power of Christ, the one who created the universe, the one who calmed the storm, the one who fed 5,000 is the same Christ who is with you and in you today. And this is what we are called to experience as followers of Christ. And so I don't know what you're up against today. Maybe, 
Maybe you're in a situation where your marriage is, is struggling and you feel like it's hopeless. You feel like there's no way you can work things out. The call for you today is to realize you can't in your own power, but Christ can and you depend upon his spirit every day to give you the basket you need, to give you exactly the power and strength that you need to do what he's called you to do. Maybe some of you guys are, are in a very difficult job situation, right? Maybe, maybe you've lost a job or your things are, are, are just uh, at, an, at an up, upheaval and, and you, just, you feel like there's no stability. The call is to recognize that your job is never where you're supposed to find your security anyway. It's ultimately in Christ. And depend upon him to work in and through you in that situation. Maybe it's an addiction. I know we have many people who, who have dealt with or are dealing with addictions. I mean, you feel like the waves of that addiction are, are just overwhelming. And, and you feel like you can't escape it. The point is to recognize you can't, but Christ can. And depend upon his spirit and believe, believe that he is powerful and able to set you free. He is more powerful than sin. He has conquered sin and death at the cross. And his power in you is enough to free you from that sin. Whatever it is you're up against, realize you need to lay down your ability, your attempt to, to accomplish this with your own resources, your own strength, and recognize that you have the power of Christ in you and live in dependence upon him from your day-to-day -day life. Do we, do we believe this? Do we really believe this? Because if we do, it'll change everything about our lives. It'll change the way we think. It'll change the way we worry, right? Change the way we make decisions. So many of us make decisions based upon our own resources and ability and not upon what Christ can do in and through us. And so we need to believe and take this to heart. When we feel like things are impossible, trust in the presence of Christ, even in our weakness. And this is what you see the apostle Paul write. I wanna read this passage this is how Paul experienced this at work in his life in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. He writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right, that's what's available for us. And so regardless of what you are going through, regardless of, of your inability to handle it on your own, you have the presence of, and strength of Christ in you. And so don't look to your own strength, but look to him and trust in him. Because if you do, you realize there's nothing to fear. You can have boldness and joy and courage in anything you face, including the storms of life, because the two points that we've seen, because his power is sufficient to provide for us and his presence is sufficient to protect us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for the fact that we are not left alone. God, we recognize our insufficiencies God, I pray that if there's those who have lived in arrogance and self-sufficiency, Father, that we know that we are trying to do this life on our own and manage things our own way. Father, I pray that we would lay that down and, and repent of that this morning. And Father, that we would recognize your power. And Father, that we would surrender and trust in you on a, on a daily basis. And Father, I pray for those in here who, who if they're honest, they know they're in, they're in a boat by themselves. 
They are trying to live this life without a relationship with you, even in rebellion against you. And Father, I pray that they would see the hopelessness and death of that way of life and they would turn from their sin and trust in you as Savior. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would convict and challenge and save their hearts. And so Father, our desire this morning is to live a life for you, but we need your power to do it. And so we pray, God, that as individuals and as a church, that your spirit, the presence of Christ, would be at work in us, that you would make us more and more like Christ, ultimately for his glory. And we long for the day when he returns and we're with him, we're in his presence for all of eternity. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.